Thank you, ladies. It was wonderful. Good morning. Yesterday, my wife and I walked around the lake. Well, we cheated. <laughs> we walked around most of the lake. But I didn't get to the part on the other side of the little bridge, so I've got to do that today. What a gorgeous place, huh? Yeah. It, it just reminded me as I was walking of so many places I have been in the world where there is civilization right there and yet right beside it it's it's uh, the way it was a long time ago I was going to say five million years ago but that probably is not a good idea long time ago works better uh, I was watching the Canada geese I love watching Canada geese they are they have to be one of the most awful uh, varmints around <laughs> and there are actually places in the world where you cannot shoot them and others where you are required to shoot them <laughs> but I was watching them you know with the signs please do not feed them we don't want them to come back <laughs> and uh, I just remembered the years that we lived in Florida <clears throat> nine wonderful years I had a I had a key to Gatorland, which is Florida's original crazy sanctuary for people who love things the way they were in the old days. And alligators and stuff all around. But Mike and I, the owner, became really good friends. And so he just said, oh, come on over at sunrise or whenever you want, no problem. So I'd slip in at sunrise three hours before the crowds arrived at Gatorland to watch the alligators jump for the chickens and you know just it's a gross crazy park but for the first three hours it's just the way it was there are th literally thousands and thousands and thousands of birds nesting in the trees it's a great blue heron rookery it's a rookery for great white egrets for snowies for tricolors for well you name it any kind of a wading bird their their nests in the bushes and trees and the palmettos and of course down below are all the alligators waiting for hors d'oeuvres but it was always the most peaceful place I could go in Orlando to go to Gatorland for peace and I felt some of that yesterday, just walking around and the people up here and the people over there and the people trying to do things on the water and, and the Canadas knowing they were safe. It was really beautiful, peaceful, safe. Lord, help us to understand that feeling as we talk through one of your adventures this morning. Amen. Mark chapter 4. Knowing that there are a whole lot more chapters in the book of Mark, we're going to be here a while. Verse 35, chapter 4. That day when evening came, that means I've got to go back and figure out what was going on during the day. If in my Bible, I've got to turn back a page, and I find that Jesus is telling stories. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus is telling stories to people on the side of a hill. Parable of the sower, and then Jesus said to them, the lamp on the stand, the seeds, the mustard seed. I mean, he was busy all day long telling stories, preaching sermons, trying to get the mic to work, and, uh, you know, constantly healing people. Can you please take care of Grandma? And he would. That day, verse 35. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. <laughs> you imagine how tired he was? Let's get out of here. I've had it. It's been fun. I love what I do. But let's go. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. I love that those words are in the Bible. 
And it means that Simon Peter, who basically told all these stories to John Mark, who wrote them all down, of Mark is listening, and he said, well, what do you mean, just as he was? Oh, you don't need to put more than that. But what was he? What does it mean, just as he was? Well, look what we just told you. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake, away from the crowds, away from the chaos, away from expectations, away from everything except peace. And so they picked him up and took him just as he was. There's a good chance that he just exhaustedly almost fainted into their arms. They picked him up and told people on the, somebody's up there, that's far enough today, that's all there is. And the sheriff kept everybody at bay and the disciples took him down, put him in the boat, and then there's this awful, awful line. There were also other boats with him. You can never get away. If you're Jesus, you can never get away. Well, there were times that he would slip away in the middle of the night and go find this a hidden spot and speak to his father the rest of the night. Yes, that was abnormal. There was always somebody around, always. I've discovered that too, <clears throat> that there's no place. Well, <laughs> see, maybe you remember Roland Hegstead at Liberty Magazine forever. One day, I was in the uh, Denver airport. I was going down this way, and Roland was coming up this way, and he saw me, and he says, Dirksen! And I said, Hagstead! And we found a way to slip off to the side. We each had about 30 minutes, and so we, we just listened to each other talk and share and tell stories for 30 minutes. And it's crazy that we would meet at a place like that in a time like that and just have this crazy, wonderful, just energizing, prayer-filled conversation and at the end, Roland looked at me, put his hands on my shoulders, and looked me deep in the eyes and said, Dick, you got to remember, there's no place in the world where an Adventist can smoke a good cigar. <laughs> no matter where you are, there are other boats with you. Don't ever forget that. <laughs> and my wife says, Dick, whenever you tell that story, tell them that you've never smoked a good cigar. <laughs> I haven't. They've been terrible. <laughs> oh my verse 37 a furious squall what does it say in King James I'm in New International great storm yeah I think that's why I go to New International I like furious squall better a great storm sounds like a tornado or a, one of those monster cumulus clouds this it was this furious squall if you've been on the water, you know what a squall is. It's what you get in Orlando and Miami, and we even get them in Portland every once in a while. They just, and they'll pour like the, like the heavens have just opened, and they'll do it for seven and a half minutes, and then the sun's out again, you know. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, I want you to come with me and look at the emotions of the disciples in this whole story. What were their emotions as they picked Jesus up and took him down and put him in the boat? Hello? They were probably as tired as he was. It's amazing. When my wife listens to me preach, I think she gets more tired than I do. And it was, it was that kind of a thing. They're bringing the people to him. They're keeping the people away. They're managing all this stuff. They're making sure that the food is distributed. And they're just exhausted. And he's finally tired enough to go. Finally. And now they get in this boat and the storm comes up. Now, Peter doesn't care. He's lived in storms. James, John, Andrew, some of the others, they're, they're just... Matthew's not happy. And it seemed like it was going to be swamped. Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. That tells you a little bit more about Jesus, doesn't it? When they got him to the boat, they took him back by the rudder, they laid him down on a cushion. I'd love to know what that was. I just, so many times, I've been on boats in odd places around the world, and I'm always looking for Jesus' cushion. <laughs> 
sometimes I found it, like Titicaca, I found it. Uh, other places, it, it, it's not there. The cushion many times is half an old life preserver that's uh, kind of clunked in the corner, and it's covered with stuff that you know fish would love, and uh, you just put your head on it anyway. Sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What was their emotion now? Panic, Panic right? That'll go? Total, absolute. I mean, these people think they're going to die. And, and they go to Jesus, who is sound asleep. And they accuse him of disciple side. You're going to sleep while we die. We're going to drown. Don't you care? Hello? He says, what? What? Have you ever awakened from a really, really sound sleep where you are not sure of your name? You certainly don't know where you are. All you know is that somebody just threw water, a whole bucket of it in your face. It was the storm. But Simon's there. Jesus, 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 master, master, don't you care if we die? And he's asked, is this a theological or a practical question? <laughs> Jesus is always up for the moment. The disciples are always eager to panic. He got up, rebuked the wind. It's interesting that he had to do this in two different ways. Rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Now, what does it say he did in, in King James? What does it say when it says rebuked the wind? Rebuked, it's the same word. Uh, best I can figure what that word means. He told the wind, you're not supposed to be doing this. I'm asleep. He rebuked them. Now, you don't rebuke. Uh, how do you do rebuke? You ever rebuked your kids? Why? They did something rebukable right? And so Jesus wakes up, looks around, and says, wind, why are you doing this? Oh, I'm sorry. And then he looks at the waves, and he says, quiet, be still. Jesus could speak wind and wave. And he spoke both while Simon stood beside him, speaking terror. I'm going to die! And Jesus' response to Simon's and Andrew and James and John's worry about death was to just tell the wind to quit it, like the kids who are rambunctious in the family room when you're trying to get your nap. And the waves to calm down, like the dog that barks all the time. And then he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have any faith? Why are you so afraid? Have Jesus ever said that to you? Yeah. When you know that everything is falling apart, there's no money in the jar, the cancer is terminal, you can't even get access to an in-network physician who can surgically remove the cancer. So it's going to cost you $50,000 to get it out. You don't know what to do. And you look at Jesus and say, don't you care that I'm dying? And he stands up and he rebukes the wind and he calms the sea and he says, Why are you so afraid, my love? Why do you worry? Do you know that no one has ever brought about anything good by worrying? Worrying brings no benefit to anything. All it does is bring negative. Why are you so afraid? Why do you worry? Where's your faith? 
Jesus can look the disciples in the eye, this exhausted Messiah, the healer with, with stained and cracked and overused fingers, the one whose voice held up till the last moment and now will barely even croak. Quiet, where is looks at you and says, don't you trust me? Hmm. Verse 41. They were, what's the word? Terrified. Panicked. The disciples, after going through all of this on the water, are right back where they began. Panicked! terrified. Nothing's gotten better. They have watched Jesus calm the waves, rebuke the wind. The kids are no longer jumping on the chairs. The dog's quiet. Waves down. Permanent death arrival delayed. They're still terrified. But now they're terrified of Jesus. Because they don't understand him. Read it. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Where's Jesus? Asleep in the stern with his head on a cushion. (laughs) He just went right back to bed. He realized there was nothing he could say beyond what he had already said and done that would have any impact on their emotions right now, let them be afraid. They'll get over it. I hope. Isn't that an awful story? (coughs) Now, the story we usually tell is disciples are afraid, wind and waves come, they waken Jesus, he says, wind, waves, calm, and everything is beautiful and wonderful, and they sail on over to the other side, which would have been difficult without wind. We missed the point. The point is, Jesus gave them far more than they asked for, and they received none of it. This is the story to remember, because it's your story and mine. Those of us who lean totally upon the Christ, only to discover that uh, he'd already moved and was just left us leaning on the mast and he was on doing other stuff and we were just still wallowing in our own fear. Chapter 5. Now, these are the people now who get to the other side. And I don't know how they got to the other side. I have a feeling there was a little bit of rowing going on. (laughs) They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, Gerasenes, Gadarenes, the reality is these are people who did not believe in a Messiah. They were not Jewish. They could have cared less if there was a Messiah. If somebody wanted to Messiah along and take care of Rome, that would be fine with them, but they would just as much fight with the Messiah as with the Romans. They uh, were kind of their own people. They lived in ten villages up on the side of the mountain. The mountain was really not a pleasant place if you've been to that part of the world. You can see that the water comes to a rocky beach. There is a steep limestone cliff, studded. uh, It's kind of like Colby cheese, where there are just little holes all the way through it. And that was where the people had put their cemetery. When they got out of the boat, when they got out of the boat, watch what the disciples are doing. Why the disciples get out? Well, I know why Matthew got out. <laughs> he was seasick. <laughs> he was sick of being on the sea. Uh, Peter and James and John and Andrews and all the others, everybody got out. They pull the boat. They move it up into the gravel just a little bit. They get out. They just kind of stand there for a minute. This has been one long day and night. They're remembering back to the absolute exhaustion with Jesus, and they just, it's It's awful. And they're just kind of standing there, stunned at the experience, stunned at their emotions, still terrified of whoever this is. Nobody's standing next to Jesus. 
You don't stand next to somebody who talks wave and wind. (coughs) When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived, it's interesting that one version says there was one man and another version says there were two men. Bible, you can't trust it, can you? Were there one or two? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I know that when Peter saw him, there was one. So I'm going to take Peter's version because that's what he told Mark about. When one of the others saw him, he saw two, but maybe he was that scared. (laughs) I really don't know. That's one of the videos I want to watch when I get to heaven. I want to watch the Gadarenes. I want to watch when the terror came for Jesus. There's a big, you can see it on the marquee outside. When the terror came for Jesus. Dirksen, you're welcome. Yes. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Not your best friend. Probably not going to invite him to church next Sabbath. Harold! (laughs) Want to go to church with me? I mean, this is, this is not a guy that you... Uh, I've spent a lot of my life on motorcycles. You meet some really interesting people on motorcycles. One night, my son was riding with me. We, he was uh, nine years old. And he's on the back of my big 1,200cc bike and big road bike, and it's colder and blitzen. And we pull off on the interstate. We're headed north from Salt Lake City up to Boise. It's night, we're going to get as far as we can and then just stop and put our tent by the side of the road. And as we pull off to put snow, snowmobile pants on because it was so cold, man, we get off and Jer- Jeremy takes his helmet off and another big bike pulls in beside us. Guy straight from hell. You know, he had everything, the stuff that was written on his bike and the back and his helmet and everything. He gets off and he takes his helmet off and he says, Why, you're a little one to be out here freezing to death. And he laughed, this laugh that just made you want to check to see if he's Santa. Just this darling man. And he said, i got to put something on. It's too cold. We talked a while. And he said, where are you headed? And I said, I don't know. And he's just up the road a ways. And he said, there's a little town of Burley up there. There's a little tiny motel. I'll share a room with you if you like. Got one reserved already. Jeremy said, can we hurry? (laughs) And Santa said, you bet we can hurry. Just follow me, man. And Jeremy, who was really into knowing stuff, said, Hey, mister, what's it like if you hit a big bird at 80 miles an hour? And he said, I don't know, never done that, but I hit rabbits. I can tell you what that's like. And Jeremy says, I know what that's like. We did that yesterday. And he said, what's it like? Jeremy says, boop, boop. (laughs) And the man laughed and whacked his knee. That was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And so we get back on our bikes and 80 miles an hour straight up the road. A few minutes later, a great horned owl took our windscreen, hit it square, boom, feathers everywhere. And Jeremy pounded me on the helmet and said, wasn't that beautiful? (laughs) We get to Burley. Santa moves in and pays for the room and says, hey, don't pay me. Give me 10 bucks. That'd be good. So I gave him 10 bucks and Turns out he's a steam fitter at a shipyard in Seattle. Loves God with all his heart. We prayed together around that bed and slept hard. And in the morning, 
had one of the saddest sons you could dream of because the angel had already left. That's what he said. Jeremy opened the door, looked outside, and turned around tears in his eyes. Our angel's gone. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Everybody saw him as the devil incarnate. He spent his nights screaming and hollering and making awful noises in the tombs. Everyone was terrified of him. What was the emotion the disciples had? Panic. What was the emotion the disciples had? Terror. What does the emotion the disciples have? Terror. First of all, they're afraid of the wind and the waves. Then they're afraid of Jesus. And now they're afraid of Harvey. That's what it says. And they were all afraid of Harvey. It's verse five and a half. And when Harvey saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted with a loud voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what do you want with me? Jesus arrived at the home of Harvey, and Harvey felt him calling. There are men and women all around the world who hear Jesus calling. And when they look to see Jesus, they see you and me instead. And we run. Terrified. Oh, but not Jesus. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to me that you won't torture me forever. For Jesus said, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. There's something going on here that I I find absolutely amazing. Harvey is drawn to Christ like to a magnet. And when he gets there, Jesus immediately recognizing fully well that this man is possessed by one of the devil's followers. And Jesus knows the devil's followers. Each angel is a friend, a name, a being. Come out of him! But he doesn't know who it is. And then the most amazing moment, Jesus asked the man, no, not Harvey. He asked the spirit, what's your name? Who are you? Was Jesus afraid of the devil on the Gadarene shore? How did he relate to the one who had proclaimed himself his enemy? He said, what's your name? Who are you? It was the creator begging a conversation with a friend. Really? Someone who had rejected him, yes. But someone who Jesus still wanted to talk to. Who are you? Is this you, Sam? Is this you, Martha? Who's in this guy? There are many of us. We don't want to talk to you. For what emotion did they have? We're still there, aren't we? Panic, terror, absolute fear. There's lots of us. And whatever you do, I know you've got to do something to us and we've got to come out, but, but whatever you do, don't send us into the water. Now, there were a large herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside with their piggered supporters. And the demons begged Jesus, please just send us to the pigs. Send us up into the pigs. Please allow us to go into the pigs. We don't want to go into the water. So Jesus gave them permission. Okay, you can have the pigs. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. Uh, Can you see them come out of the man? What happens when they come out of the man? 
the man collapses. Remember I talked to you about Larry and Big uh, Ralph? Randy, Big Randy and Larry. Uh, when, the, when the demons come out, fortunately I've been around, it's as if the skeleton in your body disappears and you just come <laughs> down onto the ground, just a big pile of muck. And as that happens, even before Jesus can reach down and lift him up, the demons are in the pigs. And the, isn't it interesting that that's where they wanted to go? That was the nicest motel around. The herd, about 2,000 in number. Now, I want you to shift with me to the piggard. Now, most of the piggards there had spent their lives as shepherds until there was a big argument and the uh, Jews said that nobody could grow pigs, so the Gadarenes grew pigs because they couldn't do whatever the Jews told them to do. So they, they grew pigs and all the shepherds became piggards. And the piggards are up there on the hill. It's a lot easier to be a piggard than a shepherd. A shepherd, you've got to count. You've got to do all kinds of stuff every night and make sure that the dumb ones are where they belong. Piggards, you just watch them in the mud. It's just really one of the easier jobs in the world. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, with all of their piggard helpers, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake where they drowned. How smart is the devil? The, the, these demons, these, these created angels fallen to follow the enemy want Jesus not to send them into any place where they're going to die or drown or horrible things happen to them. But send them to the pigs. That'd be cool. And so they get in the pigs and what is the first thing they do? Go drown themselves. Follow the devil. That's the quality of intelligence you get. If you haven't read anything really fun recently... Read C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Very insightful on the stupidity of the demon. Verse 14. The piggards ran away and reported all that was happening in the town and the countryside. And when the people left home to go down to the cemetery to see what was going on, they saw Jesus. And they saw Harvey... The man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. And they were... We got this same emotion going, don't we? We've got disciples terrified of the wind and the waves. We've got disciples terrified of Jesus. We've got uh, disciples terrified of the terror. And we've got the people terrified that the terror is no longer the terror. I think Mark really enjoyed writing this chapter. <laughs> and those who had seen it all told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about how all the pigs had died down here, and isn't that just funny? And all the people begged Jesus to leave now. It's the absolute illogical response. Go away. Go away. We hate you. You messed up the man we hated. Who are we going to hate now? It, it's just so bizarre because if you take all of this story that I've just given you and then go to the part that isn't here, where are the disciples? They're standing on the beach. Jesus standing alone. Terror comes, attacks Jesus. Jesus uh, lets the and the pigs all come whooping down. And while that's happening, all of a sudden, Simon hears Jesus say, Simon, don't you have an extra set of clothes in there somewhere? Oh, ah! Jesus is standing next to this naked guy who is smiling and with his arms around Jesus. And there's blood pouring off where he's been cutting himself with his fingernails. And I mean, this is one bad-looking dude. His bike was just up <laughs> those who had seen it told the people what had happened yeah I got one set and he, Simon goes and he gets the, the clothes and he kind of walks tentatively over to Jesus and hands the, the sandals and the robe and the cowboy hat and he hands it all to him and he says there and Jesus puts the clothes on the man 
who was already sane, sober, and happy. Happy. There's nothing that ever says the man was terrified. Oh, it, it comes, but not right now yet. Um, and then the people said, go away, go away, go away. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, now isn't it interesting, Jesus went away. If you're Jesus, wouldn't you say, wait, I will heal your ill. Go away! They're terrified. Can you heal terrified people? I think there may actually be a chemical imbalance that makes that impossible. You think? And Jesus says, no, no, if, if you don't want me here, that's fine. Uh, Simon, put up the sail. I'll get you some wind. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I want to go. Now, look at what's happened, because the road that comes down from the village into the caves and into the cemetery is clogged with people. They've got clubs, they've got sticks, they've got their piggered sticks, and they've got all their stuff, and they've got their bazookas and their arrows, and they're ready, baby. They gotta get the, there's something awful happening down here. And the closer they get, the more they realize that Harvey's different. He's standing there in his right mind talking to this man. His hair's still a mess, and he's still got scratches, and, and, but he's, he's acting like he can speak normal English. You know, this is crazy. They don't know what to do. And so the best thing to do when you don't know what to do is to get God out of your life. And so they tell Jesus to leave. And Jesus, instead of saying, there's something you need to understand. I actually created you. And, and you know, he, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> None of that. He just says, okay, I'll go. And Jesus begins to get into the boat. And as he does, he, Simon pushes off. And he gets everybody to push him off a little bit. And Harvey's right there. Excuse me, I want to come along. I, I want to go with you. I want to be wherever you are. I can't do anything but be where you are. Jesus, that is your name, isn't it Jesus. Jesus, yes, yes, that's my name. Well, where are you from? It doesn't matter. But, 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 but I want to go with you. I want to be where you are. And now the boat is out farther, and, and Harvey's up to his chest in his brand new robe, which, by the way, was wet anyway, because there's no way anything got through that storm without being soggy. And the people scream for Jesus to leave, and Harvey begs, to be able to stay. And Jesus says, Harvey, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. But I don't know, I don't even know what to say to them. Just tell them I was here. But I don't know, I'll be back. Tell them I'm coming back. But when? It'll come, I'll let you know. Bye. But I want to go with you. Bye. Just tell them about me. But I don't know anything about you. Then tell them about you. Harvey turns around as the little boat goes away. And by the way, it never talks anymore about all the other little boats. I have a feeling they were stormed. And Harvey turns and looks at the people. Finally, one voice comes out of the people. Harvey, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. I'm a hungry. Come home, man. So Mom comes out of the crowd, puts her arms around Harvey, and ushers him back through the crowd that opens. And somebody says, what happened down there? Come over to the home. He'll tell you. And for the next nine months, Harvey holds an evangelistic campaign in the Decapolis. On Sunday night, he speaks about when Jesus meets you and cleans up your act. On Tuesday night, he speaks about when Jesus meets you <laughs> and cleans up your act. On Wednesday night, and to anybody who will come through his door, he tells the same story. 
I was a terror. And Jesus made me whole. He said he'd come back. And then the message comes. I don't know how it got there. I don't think Simon took it. And the message comes. Jesus will be here two weeks from Tuesday. And when the little boat comes to the gatherings this time, it is met by a crowd who welcome Jesus. At the head of the crowd is a, is a man whose beard is growing back and hair is combed nicely. And he's in normal garb but clean. And they go up to Piggard's Hill, which hasn't been used for much this year. Not after they got all the pigs sent to market. And Jesus teaches on the hillside. And 4,000 men come to listen. And they bring their wives and their children. And the star of the day is Jesus, introduced by Harvey. Nobody's terrified anymore. Yesterday I told you the story of the Twang School in Nagaland, India. A couple of you said, well, you didn't show any pictures. No, I was lazy. So I put together a, a little music and video to show you my, my favorite school on the planet. And if you guys, have, you got it going? Ready if you can pull that off for me? Twang. Ready? Thank you. You'll like this. Got music. young man and he was smiling as he came and he said friend you may not know me now and then he said but wait you used to teach my Sunday school and I was only eight and every week you would say a prayer before the class would start one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was shared. I am alive 
One by one they came, far as the eye could see. Each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made. I noticed on the earth, in heaven, now proclaimed. I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I am almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. He said, "My child, look around you, for great is your reward." Giving to the Lord, I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so. Thank you for taking away our fear and replacing it with your love. Amen. Happy Thursday.